Good morning. Um, Eric, thank you for that introduction, the checks in the mail. I just, I just wanted to make sure it was going to be a good introduction before I sent it, okay? So, but I, I do want to thank you for allowing me to uh, have this opportunity to bring the Word of God <clears throat> to you. Um, I think Eric told me, um, I, I could be mistaken and misunderstood him, but he said, since this is my first time here and, and the congregation really doesn't know me, that I could go ahead and preach for three hours today. So um, I, really, I really appreciate that very much uh, along the way. <clears throat> Those that have heard me um, know that uh, I don't come from a whole lot of inspiration. My lessons generally come from perspiration. So I'm praying that I don't stink this morning and we'll, we'll get, all get through this safely along the way. But my wife Jackie and I, <clears throat> we're, we're blessed to be here at this church. Uh, we are so appreciative of the love and the support that we've received and so that we can serve where we feel that God has called us to serve in this community and, uh, and particularly towards the homeless um, and the marginalized uh, in Costa Mesa. The whole staff here has been amazing. Um, they're just awesome. They, they've loved on me and, and embraced me, and, and I really appreciate that. Eric has just been an encouragement to me, especially during the tough time of transition. Um, it's been a year since I've preached, um, but he's, he's put a little bit of faith in me and said, hey, I'd love for you to speak today. So we really appreciate that. I appreciate the, the love that this church has for God for the community, for his church, and for people that are, that are lost. And I truly believe that this church wants to be a lighthouse to those that are looking for hope, grace, and love in their life. And so I'm honored to be here. Um, one of your small groups comes, every, uh, well, comes once a month, Tuesday night, to the feeding of the homeless. And we really appreciate uh, them very much of being a part of that. Steve helped build the... Uh, uh, community garden. We started a community garden there for the homeless, and Steve helped, was the first one to help build the, uh, the planter boxes out of pallets. I, I had no clue what I was doing, and uh, I think Jeff told Steve, and Steve came and helped me, and uh, within no time, we had over 80 planter boxes at the church that our community friends built and that our community were able to use. So this church has really been a blessing to me in a lot of ways. I'm blessed to be able to work with Trellis to serve there as the director of homelessness or minister of homelessness. I get to serve with amazing pastors and church leaders within this, our community. Um, I get to work with nonprofits such as Fresh Beginnings, and we try to help end homelessness one soul at a time. I get to work with the social workers and the city officials to try and bring an end to homelessness, and I'm just honored to be able to do that. But one of the things I really enjoy the most is working with the volunteers. The volunteers of the churches. We, we work with the 54 churches in Costa Mesa. And, but we also work from volunteers in the community. And getting to know them, and I've been so blessed by their heart of wanting to be a service to those that the world considers marginalized or the outcast. And they show up every day with their love and with their grace and their willingness to serve and help those. So that's been a true blessing. I never imagined that I would be a minister to the homeless. It is not on my um, yearbook, okay? Uh, John will be serving the homeless. Uh, but there is one thing that is true in my uh, yearbook. It says, uh, Jackie Forever, and we've been married for 39 years. So, 
I always tell everybody it's one of the reasons I don't have hair, but we're not, we're not going to go into that. So she's stuck by me all these years. So, but God has shown me over the years that he doesn't care about my qualifications. Because I really didn't think I was qualified to minister to the homeless. I haven't been homeless. Addictions really haven't been my issue. And he says, it's not about you. It's about me. I just need to get out of the way and allow God to use me and mold me and shape me to be the servant that he's called me to be for, for his church and for his kingdom. I've learned more about love and grace and forgiveness and faith from our homeless community than sometimes, I hate to say this, from our church people. A big lesson God has taught me, or actually I think he's still teaching me, that it's not about the labels we give people. Drug addicted, alcoholic, homeless, mental health cases, rich, poor, black, white, whatever ethnic or nationality you come from. Those are labels They are not important. And they are not labels that God gives you and me or others in our community and in this world. God cares about their present and their future. And what is important to God and what he truly cares about is, my heart, is the heart that I choose to have towards those people who have labels. How do I respond to them? How do I look at them? Am I going to love them or am I going to judge them? Because God has not assigned me as their judge. But he has called me to be a lover of them, no matter who they are. And God has put me on the front line and challenged me to do that on a daily basis. He tells me to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to love them. <clears throat> and I'm trying to look beyond the labels and look beyond the appearance and look beyond their status and look at them the way God wants me to look at them, the way he looks at me. A child of God created in his image. Even though I have a lot of hang-ups, as my brother will say, I have more hang-ups than a phone company. But um, I do have those hang-ups. I do have those struggles. I do have those shortcomings. I do have sins. And I do have fears. And I do have doubts. But despite all that, I know that he loves me. And I know he loves those, excuse me, <clears throat> in society that we give labels to. And hopefully that will be clear today. I could go on and on about trellis. I would love to do that. I could talk about it all day. As Eric mentioned, over 400 housed in five years. Not just through trellis, but everyone collectively, the churches, the volunteers, the city, everyone pulling together collectively to house people, to get them off the streets and get them a new start and a new life. Or the 45 reconnections back to their families that we've had just within this last year. We sent five back in April, four back in May, back to their homes, off the streets. Or the 1,500 volunteers that we have from, from the churches and from our community who love on people who sometimes 
are unlovable. The jobs that have taken place, but most importantly, the lives that have been changed because of you investing in others, those that are lost or those that are working with, with the homeless. So we don't do this alone. We do it together as a family. But I really need to get on with the text because I do only have three hours, so I need to get going. I looked at my notes. I go, oh, my goodness. So I'm going to try. I, I talk fast sometimes, so if I'm talking too fast, just kind of say slow down or just don't throw things, okay? But in the book of James, the background, and I'm not going to go in deep because um, Jeff and, and Eric have done a, a tremendous job with the background in James. But there was a very partial culture filled with prejudice and hate based on class, ethnicity, nationality, and religious background. The people were routine, routinely and permanently categorized because they were Jew or Gentile, because they were slave or free or rich or poor, Greek or barbarian. There was no middle class. You were either rich and had an influence in society or you were poor and you had no help of moving up the social economic ladder. Unlike here in America, that you can come from absolutely nothing, but you have the opportunity to make something of yourself, no matter what your background is. You can come from the wrong side of the tracks and move to the other side of the tracks. It wasn't like that in James's day. And much like James' culture, there is partiality that takes place within our society and, unfortunately, within the church. From racism to social status, where you have the haves and the have-nots, where it depends on what type of car you drive, where you live, how big your house is, or where your house is located. Because we all know it's about location, 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 right? In California. Partiality has always been a problem in our society. And I hate to say this, but it probably always will be. But if we are looking at people with a tainted heart with partiality and favoritism, then we are not being <clears throat> the men and women that God has called us to be. And we're not being the light that he's called us to be. So James continues his thoughts on faith works from chapter 1. Not to be hearers of the word, but he wants us to be doers of the word. To live out the word of God. To let the word of God dwell within you, abide in you. To lead you, to guide you, and to direct you. And so he closes out chapter 1. He says, pure religion is to visit the orphan and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James is saying, look it, you need to take care of the marginalized and the outcasts of society, those that have been labeled. That is what we're to do. That's what pure religion is. And don't let yourself be stained by the world, be controlled by the world. Don't indulge in it. Don't let the world influence you, especially when it comes to being partial or showing favoritism. So we're going to cover three points this morning. God is not partial. When it comes to salvation, our redemption in Jesus Christ, the gospel is for everyone, every tribe, every culture. We all need Jesus, amen? And every then I'll ask you to say amen, just when I want to keep you awake, all right? So I might not necessarily agree, but I've I got to keep you, keep you moving here. It's for everyone, every tribe and culture. 
And it's all through our faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And secondly, showing partiality is a sin, plain and simple. It is inconsistent with God's love and His very nature. Partiality divides, but it's also a reflection of our heart, of evil thoughts and evil intentions. And it's not missional in growing the kingdom of God. And thirdly, love is not partial. We're called to reflect God's love and grace and mercy because that is what we have received. The world has a measuring stick and it's based upon how we love our neighbor and how we love one another. So I'm hoping to cover that soon. So if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 2 and we're going to read our text for this morning. Or if you have your iPhones, there's, I believe, Bibles in front. Or if you don't have one, raise your hand. And I, I know I tend to talk pretty fast, so just I'm going to read through the scripture here. James chapter 2, 1 through 13 is our text for this morning. He says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes to you into your assembly with the gold ring and a dress in fine clothes, and there also comes to you a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, You sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor person, You stand over there or sit at my footstool. Have you not made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my brethren, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. It is not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into the court. Do they, blaspheme, do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you are showing partiality, you are committing sin, and you are convicted by the law and transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. For he who has said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you commit murder, you have become a transgressor of that law so speak and so act as to those who are being judged by the law of liberty for judging will be merciless to the one who shows no to the one who shows no mercy 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 triumphs over judgment those are pretty flower statements aren't they there's part of the bible that i would love to redact and kind of pull out because it hits too close to home and i really don't want to listen that or have to deal with it and this is james is tough isn't it he wants us to, to walk the talk each and every day. And some of the things that he challenges with, I know he challenges me, is hard. He starts off, my brethren. He wants to make it clear to you and to me and the people that he's writing to that we are together in this, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking to fellow believers. He wants to know that we're brethren, we're family. And that's what brings us together. And what brings us together is our faith in Jesus Christ, our glorious Jesus Christ. Amen? It is God who does the calling through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. We don't get to choose who our brothers and sisters are in Christ. Most of us probably wouldn't be here if we had a choice of choosing some people, right? Just kidding. But that's one of the great things about the gospel. You might come from a broken, unloving, uncaring, unnurtured, abandonment, dysfunctional 
family. But when you come to Christ through faith, you are ushered into the family of God where there is love and grace and forgiveness and where nurturing is to take place. Has anybody ever grown up in dysfunction? Right? A lot of the wives are pointing to their husbands. <laughs> Part of the dysfunction there, right? I had an absent father. Alcoholic. Was never around. Had a mother who was an alcoholic and abuser of prescription drugs. At age 12, I was putting her in hospitals and into rehabs. Put her into, helped put her into college hospital when I was 12. A lot of dysfunction. But the amazing thing was that God brought people into my life who were followers and believers of Jesus, who loved on me, who nurtured me. That's what church is about, isn't it? That's the way it's supposed to be. They could have easily ignored a snot-nosed kid who thought he knew everything. But they didn't. They had patience with me. And they helped me grow up. <clears throat> what draws us together each Lord's Day is our faith in Christ. It's not about the music or the singing. Sorry, brother, but awesome stuff, okay? <laughs> but that's not why we come here. It's not because of the the preaching and the awesome preaching. It's not about the programs or the ministries. It's not about the name of the building. What should draw us here each and every Lord's Day is our faith in Christ. That's what we have in common. That's what makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? People often say, you don't have to go to church to be right with God or to go to heaven and you're right. I wish we could get rid of the term I'm going to church because we are the church. This building's not the church. It's you and me who have put our faith and trust in Christ. We get to come to family. We get to come and be family together. This morning we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as a family. It's what we have in common, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that we're saved and redeemed by him and only because of him. And so we are brethren. That is why James tells, don't hold your faith in Jesus with an attitude of favoritism or partiality. Partiality is combined by two Greek words. I'm not going to pronounce them because I probably can't. But one means to accept and the other means to judge according to one's face. Showing partiality then has to do with giving someone preferential treatment based on their status in society. We're going to show who's good and who's not. And so as we read, he says, you're going to have someone that's rich and come walking down and enter the church and we're going to sit him on the nice seat in the nice pew. But someone that's poor, we're going to show judgment towards them and say, you sit in the back because you really can't I'm really not going to benefit for you. We make judgments on how people look all the time and what they wear. We don't choose, as we said. 
based on how a person looks or where they come from. If that was the case, Don Shannon probably wouldn't be a member at any church that we have. <laughs> but, but because of his amazing wife, right, you guys let him in. So I, I understand that. Love you, brother. But there's tension in the church because of the great social divide in James' day, and I think also in today. You have the haves and the have-nots coming together. You got Jews and Gentiles sitting next to each other. You got people who were enemies one day, and because they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in faith and baptized into Christ, they're now what? Brothers and sisters. They're not enemies anymore. And all the walls and all the hatred has been broken down. Why? Because of Jesus. There's no other religion or faith can say that. So we have people being labeled and characterized and discriminated against. Assumptions are made all on the basis of external looks and their place in life or their profession. But God does not operate that way. God is not partial to anyone. God does not look at the external of a person, but rather he looks at the heart. We see this as the prophet talks to 1 Samuel. God talks to to Samuel, first Samuel. He says to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that has always been and will always be what is important to God is our heart. Not the appearance. If that was the case, I'm in bad shape. Eric's doing pretty good here, Okay. But we find it so easy to stereotype people and to show partiality. There was a judge who was having a really hard time with selecting a jury pool. Just everyone was saying, no, I don't want to be, ju- I don't want to be on the jury. I don't want to be a jury. So he finally asked this guy, tell me one good reason why you don't want to be a juror on this case. And so the potential jurist looks at him and says, well, judge, I'm biased. Because every time I look at that man, I am convinced that he is guilty. The judge just shakes his head and says, that man is not the defender. He's his lawyer, okay? (laughs) But that's how we discriminate. And we are partial. I used to house over 15 people at the Church of Christ. Wasn't supposed to be doing that. But God kind of called me to do it. They did more work at that church than all my members combined. I didn't even have to tell them to do it. They just wanted to be of service because they were grateful and what God was doing to them. Most of them would come in and sit at the back of the church. And I asked them, come up front. We don't bite. You know, come up a little bit forward. And said, no, I could never sit up front. I'm not worthy to sit up front. You guys have been coming here all your lives, and you guys have been walking the walk and and have been Christians for so long. I'm not worthy to do that. Maybe someday I'll be able to do that. But right now, I can't do that. Or they would say, and I hate to say this, 
they didn't feel welcomed by the church. Some of them had been going there for several years, and there was people in the church that have been there forever. And I'm telling you, we're not, we weren't a large congregation, okay? And they didn't even know their names, and they've been there for over two years. So they didn't feel welcomed. They felt like the poor man when they came in. They felt the discrimination. And the third ones, they were very cautious, conscientious about how they looked. They didn't have real nice clothes. Some of them weren't able to shower all the time. And so they were conscious about their appearance. So they would sit in the back. And sometimes we only look at things at face value and we don't go deeper into a person's heart to what God wants us to do. But God does not show partiality. You can all quote John 3.16, right? For God so loved who? The world. Not just the rich, not just the affluent, not just a certain segment of people. The world, that includes the rich, poor, the downcast, the downtrodden, the drug addict, the alcoholic, the abuser, the murderer, everyone. When you read Paul and he lists a list of all the things that people used to be, but says, but now, because of the grace of God, you're a son and daughter. God doesn't show partiality in his love. It is for everyone. Galatians and Colossians tells us that as well, that there's no distinction and that God doesn't show partiality. You have people that are Jews or Gentiles, slave and free, but now, having been baptized into Christ, we're all one. And that's what God intends us to be, one in Him, no matter where we come from. None of us earned it. None of us deserve it. It's simply the reckless love of God. We should probably write a song, something like that, one of these days. Every single one of us are sinners, and we're in need of redemption. How many of us deserve to be saved? Raise your hand. If God looked down from heaven above and he saw, go to Jimmy, uh, Jeff here. Jimmy, I'm sorry. Jimmy, Jeff, they look alike. You know, you've got to be careful with these Looks down on him and says, because he's so holy and righteous and all his good works, I'm going I'm to save you and redeem you, right? Can anybody hold up their hand that God has looked down upon them and said, because of your righteousness, you're going to heaven? All right, amen. I got Bill jumping down up too and he's waving his hand. But we are redeemed. We are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. But it's not because of what we've done, but it's what Christ did on the cross. Amen? Amen? And I know he's not partial because he loves me and he's forgiven, forgiven me and he still forgives me, just like you. Serving the homeless community, you get to see all kinds of people. And trying not to judge and be partial, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, it's hard for me. It really is. You see all kinds of people and all kinds of things take place that you never thought or imagined that would happen. From needles sticking out of people's arms, from people walking down the street naked and yelling and screaming, defecating anywhere and everywhere, throwing their trash all over the place. I kind of feel sometimes I'm a glorified trash picker because I do a lot of picking up trash. 
They're resistant to help. They're rebellious. They're disobedient. They're intoxicated and high on a daily basis. Not just one time. Every day this takes place. And every day I see it and encounter it. And so sometimes I have to guard my heart because I can get hard and callous and cold. Why don't they just straighten up? If they would just stop drugging and drinking, right? If they would just get a job. I try to operate with love and grace. But sometimes I work on being ticked off. And I got to check myself. I got to be, be brought back to center. And what brings me back to center is three things. One, God is not partial in his salvation. No matter who you are, where you came from, his salvation is for you. And to everyone, and I mean everyone, is redeemable. If we don't think that, let's just close up shop and go home. Right? Everyone is redeemable. And thirdly, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve his love and his grace and his forgiveness. I didn't earn it, but he gives it to me. And I got to remind myself every day of those three things. Listen, I want you to listen carefully to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I think Paul clearly shows how God is not partial. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. He says, you are no different. For the wages of sin is death. And when we're sinners, and we are what? Sinners. Our fate is death. We deserve the wrath of God. We were walking the way that we wanted to walk and do whatever we wanted to do. And doing God's will wasn't even on our mind or on our radar. Because it was all about me. But God. Verse 4. I love a good but. Get, get your Eric, you're killing. But God, I'm sorry about the other. But God being rich in mercy. <laughs> now you got me laughing. Because his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. God is blessing us. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Did you get that? When we were dead in our sins and lost and, and doing our own thing, God's rich mercy came and loved on us. He took care of our transgressions. He made us alive where we're no longer dead. When we were baptized into Christ, as Christ died, we were buried in baptism. We come up, we walk in what? Newness of life. We are new creatures. We are born again. That old is dead. And we are now children of God. Amen? 
We've been saved by His grace. We've been raised up. And not only have we been raised up, we've been seated. Not that He's going to seat us when we're dead and we're, we're dead and gone and it's all over. He seated us now in the heavenly places. We have throne room standing with God right now. And that means we have a relationship with God. <clears throat> we can talk to Him. It's not about form and function. It's not about following the rules and crossing our T's and dotting our I's and making sure we're doing everything indecently in order. It's about having a heart for God and having a relationship with Him. That we can call Him Abba, Father. And we can cry out to Him and we can sing to Him and we can praise Him because He knows, we know He listens. Amen? Verse 7, So that the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He wants other people, as those are being brought to Jesus and their lives are changing, He, want, uh, he wants other people to know that this is for them too. It wasn't just for, for Jesus' time and the apostles' time. It's for all ages, this love and this grace and this mercy and this forgiveness. Amen? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. We didn't do it, did we? It was simply the grace of God. It's not because we were good and we did everything right. It's simply because God loves you and he doesn't want you to die separated from him, but he wants you to have throne room standing with him. That's the Lord and Savior that we put our faith in. Amen? Paul tells the church in Rome, he says, when you were helpless, Christ died for you. When you're ungodly, when we were sinners, Christ died for you. And yet he justified us. He made us right with God through his blood. When we were enemies, he took care of it and broke down that wall and brought us back and reconciled us back to God as his children, his sons, and his daughters. And we should never forget where we came from. Never forget where we came from. And that we still struggle with sin every day. And I think that is what drove Paul and his ministry to be a ministry and to go anywhere and everywhere, even though he was beaten and stoned and in prison, he knew what God had done for him. And that's what drove him to preach the gospel, knowing what his fate awaited him in Rome. And it's what should drive us to preach the gospel and teach others and tell the good news. But James says showing partiality is a sin. It is inconsistent with God's love and his nature. He says, if however you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law and as a transgression. He says, you've made distinctions among yourselves. It's easy to judge and show partiality and to make distinctions. Becoming a judge is pretty easy, and we, we do that pretty well, don't we? We look at people, the way they're dressed, the way they come from, where they're acting, and we just go, oh, I'm staying away from this person. Oh, they're this or they're that, and we go back to that labeling. Because if we can compare ourselves to someone that we think is worse off than us, then we get to feel pretty good about ourselves. It's one of the reasons I hang out with Bill Nelson, all right? It makes me feel good. I just, 
Oh, sorry, Bill. I must be doing pretty good if he's going to heaven, right? I've been told by church people that you can't grow a church ministering to the homeless, to those people. You need to focus on families that can support the church. Their focus was not on people who were lost and who needed redeeming and who needed to be saved. It was on how can we benefit from you? What can we get out of this situation? We got a building fund. Those homeless people are not going to help us with the building fund, are they? We need to raise some money. We need to raise some capital. Let's go to the young families and the rich and see if we can influence them. And when they walk through the doors, we're all over them. Like a dog on a bone. Unfortunately, I've seen it happen. And I've seen people who sit in the pew who aren't dressed too well, who don't carry themselves too well, and they'll walk right by them as if they don't exist. I've got to tell you, folks, they already feel that out in the streets. They shouldn't feel it within the church. Amen? The core problem is that they had no faith that God can and will redeem the worst of the worst. They want to pick and choose who God will redeem and who God will save. But everyone is redeemable. And I don't know about you, but God will provide and sustain us when we put our faith and trust in Him. Amen? Not when we're trusting on looking at our checkbook and our accounts and how we're going to make ends meet. When we just do what God has called us to do and love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love one another, God's going to take care of the rest. He really is. I've seen over and over the, those experiencing homelessness give their last coat, their last blanket, their last sleeping bag to someone else that they felt needed it more than them. As I said, I've learned about more, more about love and grace and forgiveness and generosity from them. The text doesn't say God chose the poor. The text clearly says that God chose the poor in the eyes of the world. And who we redeem is not worthy. And who we have put down and put a label on that they're not quite good enough we have an eye problem how we see people are we judging this based on their status their economic and social status and they're no use to us do we just dismiss them if we know they're, that they're struggling they have issues we run and we don't stand our hand of love and grace but God does love the poor in spirit the poor in spirit is not about financial. It's about being poor in spirit in your heart, that you're broken, that you're bankrupt, that you know your salvation is completely and totally dependent upon God, that nothing you can do can earn it or deserve it. That's what he wants, a broken and contrite hands, that we come with empty hands. No work is too great. He doesn't want us to show partiality. And finally, love is not partial. We are called to reflect God's love and His grace and His mercy because this is what we have received from Him. Amen? Amen. The world has a... Me- <laughs> awesome. <laughs> the world has a measuring stick on which to judge us. And it's based upon how we love our neighbor and how we love one another. That's what the world is looking at. They're not looking at so much the music or the preacher. 
or the name on the building or what type of building it is and your programs and ministries. What they're looking at is how are you loving God and how are you loving others? It will be evident. Our primary objective is not to show favoritism or to be judges. Our primary objective is to simply love. Every story that Jesus tells is about that, isn't it? All the people that are redeemed and restored and healed, they were the broken and the outcasts and the downtrodden of society. They were the poor. If you're lame, if you're a single woman, you had nothing. You were property. You weren't of value. But Jesus tells us some parables about a lost sheep that if you got 99, he will go and hunt down and look until he finds that 199, that, that one sheep of the, of the 99. What's he saying? God loves that one that is lost and that is wandering and doesn't know where his home's at. And he'll do anything and everything to find that one. And then we have the prodigal son who's homeless, sleeping with the pigs, not smelling too good doesn't have the fine clothes, eating slop, and use all his money on drugs and women and alcohol. And what's the father doing? He's waiting for him. He's looking out every single day waiting for him to come home. And when he gets home, he doesn't even get home. He sees him from afar off. He's waiting for you to come home. And when you do, he doesn't sit back on his rocker and say, well, it's about time you got home. When he comes up to him, he doesn't pull him by the ear like my dad used to do, or thump you in the back of the head, you knothead, or put you on restriction. He runs after him, and he hugs him, and he kisses him. He gives him the robe and the ring and the sandals and he has a party and he celebrates. Why? Because the one that we thought was unredeemable, that was worthless, that didn't deserve anything, he's come home. And that's what's important to God. And that's how he wants us to look at those that are wandering the streets and that are lost. He wants us to wait with anticipation. He wants us to invite them to come home. Because we're home, amen? Because we got family, amen? We've been loved. And we want them to experience that same love and that same grace. We want freedom from the bondage of sin. That's why we fulfill the royal law. One of the, one of the blessings, I know I'm, I'm running late, I'm sorry. One of the blessings I get to do is I get to take people to the bus station or to the, pl- or to the, the airport when we reconnect them back to families. One of the good things is they're in my car going 60 miles an hour in the freeway and they can't get out. So I get to lecture to them and preach to them and do all kinds of stuff. And they're stuck, right? They get to hear my, my sermons. I learned that from my brother because that's what my brother used to do to me. He said, we need to go for a ride. I knew that was trouble because I knew I was going to get a lecture. Probably reason number five why I'm bald because I kept on going, oh, my. I get to hear their stories. And I got to tell you, if I experienced some of the things that they experienced, I'd be on the streets or I'd be an addict. Really. 
I wish I had time to tell you about from the time this woman was 13 years old, she had been in 10 different foster homes and every one of them was an abusive situation. Or had time to tell you about the guy who his mother after three months dropped him off at a stranger's friend's house down the street while his dad was living down the street with another family and had nothing to do with him and that family would put him in a cage when he would act up. A young man whose father died in prison. His cousins died in prison. His mother didn't want anything to do with him and she was an addict. A mother who wanted nothing to do with him. And man after man after man would come through the house and treat him and his siblings like dirt like garbage. Husband addicted to drugs and alcohol. He was a thief, in and out of prison, abusive, controlling, self-centered. Left her with nothing. Every single one of them come from brokenness. Comes from hurt and pain. Unwanted, unloved, abused physically, emotionally, and mentally. Don't judge unless you know their story. And before you even judge, live out the royal law. Because, folks, we're all broken, right? We all have hurts, habits, and hang ups. But sometimes our brokenness is not visible like theirs. The recent suicides tell us that, don't they? James focuses our intention on the royal law to just love them. That's the defining mark of Christianity. Ought to be our indiscriminate love for other people. But Jesus takes it up a notch in John chapter 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And this is where a measuring stick. So that the world may know that you are my disciples. That's the only way the world's going to know that we are followers and believers is by the way we love one another. And we, the way we love them is the way Jesus loved us. I don't like that. Because Jesus has loved me unconditionally. Unselfishly. When I didn't deserve it. When I've messed up over and over and over again, He still what? He still loves me. And God still forgives me. And you want me to do that to you? Yikes. Right? It's not cheap talk. It's not I love you, kissy, kissy, and we're out the door. It's not holy hallway conversation when we come here on Sunday and say, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fine. And then we walk out, we're miserable and we're broken and we're hurting, and yet we don't talk to anybody about it. That's not love. 
Love is being able to open and to share that I'm hurting and I need you. I need your love. I need your grace. But it's also being willing to give it to those that need it. No matter who they are or where they came from. My prayer is that every church in this city is filled with homeless people. Outcast, downtrodden, drug addict, alcoholic, poor, unkept, smelly, dirty people. We're going to have them sit next to Eric, but we want the churches filled here. God doesn't want us to be partial on who we share the gospel with. He wants us to get involved in dirty people's lives because life is dirty. He wants us to be the hands, feet, and he also wants us to be the voice. It's good that we go and we feed the homeless. It's good that we bring clothes and backpacks and all that stuff. Don't stop doing that because they need it. But that's not what God really wants. He wants us to invest our life, our love into them. To listen to their story. To be able to tell our story to them, how we've been redeemed and restored when we were such a mess and that we didn't deserve it. But also tell them God's story that he loves them with an everlasting love. Amen? They need to know God's love. You cannot look at the gospel of Jesus and say God does not care and is not concerned about the poor and the downtrodden and dirty people. We are to be a lighthouse to those who live in darkness and who have no hope. We are to be a beacon of light in the midst of a dark, ugly, partial world. God is not partial in his love. No matter who you are, where you come from, you need to know that. And this is even hard for me to say because God will go down to the depths of the pits. He will even love a San Francisco Giant fan. Can you believe that? That is unbelievable. That's a lot of love, isn't it? He shows a mercy. I'm working on that one. We're to show mercy because we've received mercy. We're to show love because we received love. We're to show grace because that's what we received. And it's our faith that brings us together, that restores us, not our works. So let's be the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus by the way we walk out our lives in our faith in our glorious Lord. Jesus Christ. Thank you for this time.